Uh, it's great to see you this afternoon. Really good for us to be able to spend just this little bit of time before we enter into a relaxing time of uh, Christmas uh, festivities. Uh, Jude mentioned right at the beginning, in fact, I thought she was about to steal all of the beginning uh, of, of my talk when she mentioned uh, one of those Christmas songs. Um, do you have one of those songs that really just, it's Christmas, but it doesn't half annoy me. This, this song really annoys me. That Andy Williams song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. I'm, there's a few people looking at me thinking I'm a right bar humbug. Um, but I, it just as soon as it starts, it, oh, this drives me crazy. It's the most wonderful time of the year with the kids jingle belling, whatever that is, and everyone telling you be of good cheer, it's the most wonderful time of the year. We had one of those, um, well, we have this conversation every year around this, probably yesterday, night before Christmas Eve. It's the conversation that Rach pretty much always have, where I, in a miserable sort of uh, mood, say, I don't feel very Christmassy. Um, and she says, well, you never feel Christmassy. In fact, she reminds me that we have this conversation every year. I just made me think, number one, how incredibly shallow of me that I actually think that feeling Christmassy is something to kind of look forward to and to hope for. It just kind of shows that I'm, I'm, I'm even buying into the whole culture of consumerism and Christmas and all of that kind of stuff. So I want to ask today, what is it to really feel Christmassy and why? should we be of good cheer? I think they're great questions to ask. If you're feeling Christmassy, I envy you. If you're hoping to feel Christmassy and like me wishing you could, I hope all of us leave here this evening feeling there is a much deeper, way more important reason for us to be of good cheer than the simple fact that it's time off work and there's lots of food and drink, and all of that kind of thing. Do you know, I think in lots of ways, what we read a little bit earlier captures the whole of the message of the Bible. That's a surprising thing to say, but in a few verses, in a few simple statements, there is a little picture of what the whole of the story of the Bible is, and why Christmas time is right at the very center of the whole of that story. It's a little account of a conversation in dream form which goes on between Joseph and a messenger from God, uh, and we're going to look at it. The first thing that we're going to see is that Joseph finds himself in an impossible dilemma. That's the first thing that we see. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. That is a great little picture of what it was like in the time of Jesus. We lived in a shame culture, and Mary and Joseph were pledged to be married 
pledged was way deeper than simply engaged uh, in that culture. Uh, But they hadn't yet married. And then this, in human terms, in a shame culture, this catastrophe falls upon this young couple when we find that Mary is expecting a baby. It is a disaster. It is a crisis. And Joseph finds himself in an impossible dilemma. Let me describe why it's impossible. On the one hand, he wants to be faithful to the law. In other words, we get this little insight that Joseph is a man who definitely lives faithful to God's law. That's the kind of person he is. He says, whatever our house, our family, we're going to be faithful to God. That's the kind of family we're going to be. And yet he finds himself in a dilemma because he recognizes and understands in human terms, as far as he's concerned, his wife-to-be, his betrothed partner, has been unfaithful. That's the situation. It's a crisis. In legal terms, he could have had a stoned according to the law, but by this time, we know this from various archaeological discoveries. Uh, By this time in the Jewish faith, divorce was absolutely rampant. Uh, A a wife couldn't divorce her husband, but a husband could divorce his wife for just about anything. Just about anything. Uh, And yet he finds himself in a dilemma He could, according to the law, have divorced her very publicly and made her the kind of focus of disgrace. I'm going to divorce you because you have been unfaithful to me. But what we see about Joseph is he is at the same time as wanting to be faithful to the law, he is a deeply compassionate man as well. What does he do? He decides, in this dilemma, I love this woman so much, what I'll do is I'll very, very quietly divorce her. I won't put her up for public disgrace. It's not an unusual thing for her to be divorced in our culture. She'll go back to, she'll, be, she'll, be, she'll have no support. There's no welfare system. She'll probably go back to her own family. They'll try and look after her. She'll be another of those many women in that culture at that time who would have been without a partner and yet having children as well. He was in a, he was in a dilemma because he wanted to uphold the law and at the same time he wanted to observe grace and compassion. And the only way that he could resolve that was kind of quietly hiding it away. That's a little picture, isn't it? I think it's amazing because in lots of ways that speaks straight away about the message of the Bible which speaks about our dilemma in relation to God. It's a dilemma that we experience. How can we resolve the fact that we are unfaithful breakers of God's law and yet at the same time desperately know that we need God's love, we need God's compassion, and we need God's grace. That's what we see in Joseph in that little moment. It's a little cameo of our experience 
as human beings. That's what Christmas is all about. It starts, you cannot get the good news of Christmas. You will never come to terms of the good news of Christmas until you realize the bad news that it starts with. And the bad news is that we're estranged from God. That's, that's bad news, but let me just show you how amazingly good news explodes out of this crisis situation. I don't know what it was like for Joseph. I don't know how long this dilemma had been going on in his mind. But just for a moment, I want you to imagine being Joseph, desperately caring and loving Mary. And yet at the same time, there's this issue that they're facing day after day. Do you have one of those, ever had one of those situations where every waking moment there is one thing on your mind? That's how I guess that's what it must have been like for Joseph. Day after day after day. How do I resolve this? Finally, he comes to the conclusion. He goes to bed that night, and then God speaks to him in a remarkable way. So, from an impossible dilemma, we see a resolution with a name. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived from her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Naming people in the time of Jesus was an incredibly important thing. I don't know what, well, I, I guess I know lots of your names. I don't know everybody's name here. Great to see you if I try and say bye on the way out. Um, I don't know everybody's name, but our names are things that are just passed down or given to us or whatever it might be. Very often, mostly in our culture, they don't carry the significance that naming has carried at certain times in the past. And the angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph and says, firstly, don't be afraid to take Mary because Mary has not been unfaithful. That's, a, that's an amazing piece of information that he receives, isn't it? You take Mary as your wife, but more than that, you are to give him the name Jesus. That just kind of trips off. We all know it now, don't we? But in actual fact, it was a remarkable name that he was to give this son. To give him the name Jesus. Jesus is the kind of anglicized version of the Greek of Joshua. Or Joshua from the Old Testament, the Hebrew name Joshua. If you know anything about the Bible, one of the things that you see way back in the early part of God's, the life of God's people is we see this heroic, warrior-type character, Joshua. And the angel says, you are to name this son that you're fearful to take as your son. You are to name him as a warrior hero of the past. Why? Why? Because he's going to save 
the people. That's what Joshua did way back then. He saved God's people. And this voice comes to, to Joseph in the night and he says, call him somebody after somebody who in the past has been a hero. I think in lots of ways you might have wanted to keep it a bit quiet. You know, just keep it quiet. We'll have the child. We'll, we'll keep our heads down. We'll maybe move to another town, whatever it might be. Let's just give him a name and, uh, and keep it quiet. But no, I want you to name him with a massive statement. He's going to be a hero warrior for his people because he's going to save his people. But there's another little rider on the back of that which is phenomenally important. He's going to save his people from their sins. That was a weird thing for the angel to say. And it was strange because of this. They lived in Nazareth. Many of you would probably know, thinking about a map of Israel, you know roughly where Nazareth is. It's up in the north. But it's a really important town in the time of Jesus, a really important area. We know even more of the importance of Nazareth from archaeological discoveries from 2003. In 2003, a guy by the name of Elias Sharma was digging around in the basement of his shop, and he discovered some old building work, and they called in all of the antiquities people and all the rest of it, and they dug around, and they found underneath his shop was this colossal Roman baths. It was huge, a really significant find. It spoke about the significance of Nazareth in the time of Jesus with regards to how important it was as a Roman garrison in the north of Israel. Now, if you look back into the Old Testament, what you know is that God's people are saved again and again and again from other people's overpowering military force. What would have been sensible in human terms for the angel to say is you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from the Roman occupation. That would have been sensible. That would have made sense of the past. But what the angel actually says is for you and me, the most important piece of news that we can ever, ever hear. You'll name him Jesus, not because he'll save his people from Roman occupancy, but because he'll save his people from their sins. Sin's one of those words which you probably don't kind of want to hear about at Christmas, but it's right at the center of the Christmas story. Do you get a bit nostalgic? I was got a little bit nostalgic today hearing about the death of Rick Parfitt. So any status quo fans out there will be... Uh, remembering the songs from the past. I remember going about, I think it was 30 years ago, I went to their end of the road tour. It was the last tour that they were ever going to do. Uh, so we bought tickets, went to the end of the road tour. I think they probably did about another 20 tours after that. 
But I was playing a, th playing a few of the old tracks and then it kind of flicking through Spotify as you do and I was playing some of the old stuff that I used to listen to. Flicked onto a Led Zeppelin song, the song remains the same. <laughs> it's a bizarre song for a start. And there's been all sorts of speculation about what the lyrics mean. But I think it's very powerful in this way. He speaks about going to different places going to different situations, different geographical locations, but the song remains the same. Exactly the same is in, is in play when it comes to our relationship with God. The song remains the same. You can take us out of Israel, take us out of Nazareth, take us into Western Europe in the 21st century, take us across millennia, but the song remains the same. We have an issue because of our rebellion against God. And the great, great news about Christmas is that Jesus was born as a warrior to save His people from their sins. That is great news. It is the most wonderful news that we can ever hear. And we sit here and we think, well, that's great. That's the first name that is given. Do you ever have one of those kind of elephant in the room moments? Well, that's the answer. Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. But the big question is, how? How is that going to work? How can that be possible? Do you know the answer is in here as well? Because there's another name that is talked about. Look at the way it continues in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Wow. That is astounding. That is absolutely incredible. It's one of those moments where dots in the story of the Bible connect. 750 years earlier, Isaiah writes exactly this. The virgin will conceive and bear a son and you will call his, give him the name Emmanuel. Who's them? Who are the them who will give him the name Emmanuel? That is the key question. Who is they? I think the they is anyone who truly recognizes the true nature and person of Jesus. Who is God with us? That's the answer. There's lots and lots of people who might hear the idea of Christmas, but might say, just a figure from history. Just a person back there. But the message of Christmas and the reason why it is the greatest news we could ever have is because of this. Jesus isn't simply a warrior saving His people. He is no less than God present with us. 
He is the only one who can save His people from their sins. He is the only warrior. It's as though all of the warriors that had gone before were only pictures, only ways of preparing us, only ways of readying us for the true warrior who can come and save us, not from physical battles, not to create some kind of crusade, but to defeat the greatest enemy that we can ever have, which is our rebellion against God and the sins that we have in the face of a God who cannot simply hide them away. He has to do something. And this is where this whole story kind of comes together in a most amazing way. Here we have Joseph, a man who was grappling with the dilemma of the law And how can I possibly be gracious to Mary? Just hide it away. The presence of Jesus changed everything. The presence of Jesus changes everything for you and me today. If we are able to say, the coming of Jesus is the greatest piece of news that the world can ever have, that God is present with us, and He has come to save me, and I call Him Emmanuel. We no longer need to kind of shove our sins under the carpet. We can say they are dealt with, they are resolved, they are defeated, because God is present with us. One of the things that is very moving around Christmas time, uh, obviously the, the many adverts which point to, in a really challenging way, the brokenness of the world that we live in. It's a really poignant time, isn't it? We kind of want to hide away from lots of that stuff. We just want to have a good time and pretend that that isn't there but it really is there. The brokenness of this world is a real challenge. And yet Joseph gives us another little picture of how we can respond to Christmas and truly leave knowing that this is the very best Christmas. I can never feel more Christmassy than this. I can never feel more Christmassy than this. I can walk away acting on what I have heard. That's what Joseph does. He listens to what he's being told, and then he goes away, and he does exactly what he's instructed to do. You know, our rebellion, our sinfulness against God, it it creates all of those senses of the brokenness of our experience in this world. There is an inner trouble. There is an inner disturbance. There is, if you like, spiritual guilt. There is spiritual isolation. There is spiritual homelessness that we experience. And yet the great news of Christmas... The fact that God came into our world is His way of saying, by His presence, 
come on home. Come on home. Come and find your dwelling with me. I've come to dwell with you so that you can dwell with me. And that sense of abandonment that our rebellion against God has can be dealt with by the coming of the great warrior Jesus who defeats the shattering effect of our rebellion against God, who breaks into our world as God with us and says, I have come to bring you peace deep down. I was reflecting on my ridiculous stupidity of wanting to feel Christmassy. And then I started thinking about today and this little excerpt again, excerpt again of Joseph and his message from God. And you know, it just filled me with a sense, this is great news. This is the greatest news that we could ever have. This is what Christmas is all about. This is peace. This is joy. This is hope. And I don't want it to go away. I wish it could be Christmas every day. I don't even want to drift into that song. But you know, there's a sense in which it can be. Because what Christmas resolves on one day is what we live day to day.